Um, this is Nehemiah 4, uh, verses 1 to 15. Okay. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed, ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? What they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down the, their wall of stones. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we re rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs of, to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of, our lab of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much rubble, we cannot re rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to their work. When the Jews who live near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember, the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated our work, had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. The word of the Lord. Thank you. All right, y'all, have a seat. Here we go. Anytime you are trying to build something or accomplish something that is bringing glory to God's name, anytime you're trying to do that, or anytime you're trying to build or accomplish something that is in line with His redemptive plan for His people, because remember, Nehemiah was rebuilding Jerusalem with the help of a lot of Jewish people, but that wasn't just his idea. That was something that he said earlier, God had put in his heart to do for Jerusalem, right? And for the Lord, the Lord's name was in disgrace if Jerusalem was in disgrace. So anytime you're trying to build or accomplish something that's in line with his redemptive plan, relationship with him or relationship with one another, you should expect resistance. Because that's what we just read about. We read about resistance. People resisting what God was doing for the Jewish people and through the Jewish people, right? You should expect it. When I read this for the first time this week, I immediately thought of a book that I haven't read in a long time. It's a book by Stephen Pressfield called The War of Art. And the first opening of this book is the whole first half of the book is all about resistance, but 
Listen to what he says in light of what we just read about Nehemiah. And, and I hope this morning will be profoundly practical for you, knowing that every single one of us is facing resistance in some form or fashion if we're actually trying to get in line with the work that God's doing in our lives. You're going to encounter it, right? Listen to what Stephen Pressfield says about resistance. The following is a list. See if you can find yourself in this. In no particular order of those activities that are most commonly to elicit resistance. One, the pursuit of any calling in writing, painting, music, film, dance, or any creative art, however marginal or unconventional. Number two, the launching of any entrepreneurial venture, enterprise, for-profit, or otherwise. Number three, any diet or health regimen. Come on, y'all. Number four, yeah, are all your diets going so well? Number four, any program of spiritual advancement. Like, that's what we're doing here this morning, right? Like, we're here gathered together as the body for spiritual growth. Number five, any activity whose aim is tighter abdominals. I've given up on that. Number six, any course or program designed to overcome an unwholesome habit or addiction. Number seven, education of every kind. Number eight, any act of political, moral, or ethical courage, including the decision to change for the better some unworthy pattern of thought or conduct in ourselves. Number nine, the undertaking of any enterprise or endeavor whose aim is to help others. Number 10, any act that entails commitment of the heart. Commitment. The decision to get married, the decision to have a child, the decision to weather a rocky patch in a relationship. Expect resistance. And lastly, the taking of any principled stand in the face of adversity. In other words, any act that rejects immediate gratification in favor of long-term growth, health, or integrity. Or expressed in another way, any act that derives from our higher nature instead of our lower, any of these will elicit resistance. Find yourself in any of those? Nehemiah and the Jews ticked at least half those boxes, right? Because what they're trying to do is, is something God's called them to do. And as a result, right, they're expecting resistance. Resistance is to be expected. Jesus himself on the way to the cross got resistance from one of his best friends, Peter, who said, you're not going to go die. And he said, get behind me, Satan, right? Even Jesus, he understood, hey, resistance, I'm going to face it when I'm trying to do what God has called me to do in this redemptive plan. And Jesus, by calling it out in Peter and calling it Satan, right, is saying there's someone at work, someone actively at work trying to create resistance for God's redemptive plan to roll forward. So three things we're going to talk about, and we're actually going to pause and practice a little bit this morning. Three things in this passage, super practical, hopefully will be helpful for us. One, recognizing resistance, okay? Get ready for a bunch of R's. Two, resisting resistance. It's clever, right? See how I did that? Resisting resistance, and then three, resting or our ultimate rest and resistance. First one, recognizing resistance. Resistance takes a couple forms here. Um, 
in this encounter. And we're going to look at it pretty carefully because um, I think it's, it's true for us too. There's two forms. There's an external form of resistance, and that's Sambalot and Tobiah, right? Tobiah, the, the fox guy. He's throwing out the fox jokes. I think that's such a lame insult, right? Like, even a fox tear down your walls, right? Like, come on, Tobiah. Sambalot and Tobiah are the external forms, but then it shifts, and you see the shift in the passage to an internal form where Sambalot and Tobiah aren't the ones doing the talking. The Jewish people are the ones doing the talking. It's a big deal. It's very subtle, but we do it. There's an external form and an internal form. Let's start with the external. I don't know about you. I think this is true in my life, that there can be a lot of things that are going well. I like how they're going. I'm encouraged about how they're going. But there can be a few small voices, right? Just a minority, a tiny number of voices that can create an enormous amount of distraction for me, right? All this is going well, but there's one Sambalot, one Tobiah over there who's actually talking like this. And as a result, it gets all of my attention and all of my energy, what they're saying, rather than all of this that's actually going the way the Lord wants it to maybe go, right? A few small voices, they get really loud, they get amplified, right? This is the trash talking of the Old Testament, right? If I can get inside your head before the game even starts, right? We don't even have to play the game, right? Because you're already defeated up here. And that's one of the tactics, and it's taking an external form here of resistance is this. I want you to get focused on the resistance, focused on the difficulty of resistance, because it is hard, you know? It's hard to be heckled. It's hard to be mocked. It's hard to be distracted and discouraged, right? The Sambalot and Tobiah are trying to get them to focus on the resistance and on the difficulty of the resistance versus using their energy, the Jewish people using their energy for the difficulty of doing the good work. Because the good work is hard, right? They are doing hard, good work, right? He's saying, I want you to get you focused on the resistance and the difficulty of that versus the difficulty of putting your hand to the good, hard work. What they're ultimately trying to do is they're trying to take out their heart, right? Verse 6 says, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all of their heart. You're building out of that place, right? That's the place that you have your effort. That's your engine to build is your heart. And they're trying to, through discouragement, through mockery, through contempt, take out their heart for the work, to discourage them or remove the courage required to do the work. Another way of saying it would be like this. I'm trying to tear down what you're doing by trying to tear you down. I'm trying to discourage you, not dismantle the wall, because if I can get you discouraged, I'll never have to dismantle the wall. You just won't build it. Your discouragement will push you over to the sidelines, and we won't even have to tear this thing down, right? I just get you to quit. So Sambalot and Tobiah, who I would definitely say, because remember, anything working against God's redemptive plan in your life is a work of Satan, is what Scripture says. Sambalot and Tobiah were facing agents of, they were agents of Satan, and they understood something. Look, 
Artaxerxes has given them permission to do this. He's given them the funds to do this. They have permission. They have protection. They have an army with them. But pessimism is powerful. If I can get you discouraged, all that protection, all of that money, all of that, it won't even be, it won't matter. Tons of external discouragement going on for the Jewish people here. But the goal was this. The goal was to make a shift, and it, it was starting to work, is to move from those external voices to this internal discouragement, to move from Sambalot and Tobiah hurling criticism and critique and all this, like nice, nice wall you're building there, right? From it moving to that, to internal discouragement, to where they're beginning to actually say everything that Sambalot and Tobiah are saying back to themselves, I know that sounds, it may, you may be like, well, okay. That's how it works. They don't even have to keep talking anymore because the Jewish people are starting to say everything that they were saying to them. They're just saying it to themselves now. And when that external discouragement has actually become your internal voice to yourself, the battle's over. Okay? It's what makes social media so dangerous for our generation. Like, they had to actually get close enough to yell this stuff at each other, right? Right now, all you have to do and all I have to do is hop on social media, right? Because social media has made archers out of everybody, right? Everybody can stand at a safe distance and load up their insults and load up their bows with criticism and whatever and launch those arrows over into your yard, right? I can shoot those arrows at a safe distance. I don't even have to be on the real battlefield of you and me face to face, right? It's made archers out of everyone. But remember, Ephesians 6 says that the only archer in Scripture is the devil. He's the one who shoots flaming arrows, right? Social media has made archers out of everyone, right? So we can just launch that external discouragement. But what, what do we do when those arrows land in our yard, right? They go from, right, let's look at it here. Will they, will they, will they? This is what they say, right? Sam Blot to buy. Will they do this? Will they do this? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they, can they? Then the fox joke, right? But eventually, go down and look at verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, uh-oh, now it's not Sam Blot and Tobiah talking, it's the Jewish people talking to themselves. The strength of the laborers is giving out. There's so much rubble, we cannot rebuild the wall. They were told they can't rebuild it by Sambalot to buy, and now they're telling themselves they can't rebuild it. Also, our enemies said, remember what they said, right? Before they know it or see us, they will be right here among us, and they will kill us and put an end to the work. And lastly, wherever you turn, they will attack us. What is going on? It's gone from an external voice to an internal voice, Right? They've gotten them saying to themselves what was being said to them in their own voice, right? And as a result, Sambalot and Tobiah's job is done. I don't even have to spread the fear anymore because you'll spread it in your own heart. You'll spread the lies. You'll spread the fear. You'll spread the rumor, right? They don't have to tear down the wall because they've torn down the wall of their heart. The wall of my heart has been breached and as a result, because of the discouragement, I may stop doing the work, right? 
They were, they were moving them from a place of heckling and mockery and contempt to the point to where they've actually forgotten the truth, which is what? They aren't all alone. That God's gracious hand is upon them. That God has called them to do this work, and he has supplied everything they need to do this work, right? So practically, for you and for me, I just want to pause for a second and say this. Do you know you have an enemy? Like probably most of us didn't wake up this morning and say, hey, I know that I actually have an adversary this morning, and his name is Satan, and he's working actively against any sort of good that God is trying to work in my life. His goal is to tear down your heart through discouragement and to tear down the work of God and his people, right? And Satan has been working through words ever since the fall, right? Satan is a talker. Here's some of the things that he does. He accuses words, right? He deceives words, right? He's a liar, right? He's a blasphemer, He's a critic, he's a discourager, he's a schemer, right? That's what Ephesians 6 says. Our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces and evil in the heavenly realms. Do you recognize resistance? Do you call it what it is, what Scripture calls it? Let me give you some examples since we're actually here in church together, right? Let's just use this as an example, what we're doing right now. Did any of you have a hard time making it here this morning? This is where most of you raise your hands. Yeah. Like, have you ever, have you ever felt like everything in the universe is conspiring against you actually making it in here on a Sunday morning? Like, how many things can go wrong before we get here? And even if things aren't going wrong, have you ever had these thoughts you know, I just, I'm so tired, man. This week has just been so much. Uh, is, is getting here even going to be worth it? Like, is what, is this going to be worth it? You ever say that to you? I say it. I have to, I have to get up here, right? <laughs> is this even going to be worth it? What is that? Is that just my thoughts, or do you actually have somebody who's a talker, who's spiritually trying to deceive and discourage you from coming in here and actually engaging with what's going on? Have you ever had resistance trying to get to small group? For those of you that are in small groups, it's Thursday night, 7 o'clock. You've already been at work all day. Feed, feed, feed people. Oh, my gosh, get out the door. Run, run, run. Emily and I talk about it all the time. It's like you can set your clock by it as soon as it's small group day. It's like, oh, gosh, here we go. Attack, 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 right? I can't tell you how many times our small groups gotten together, and it, at the beginning of the night, we're all kind of like, man, we like, barely made it here. And at the end of the night, we're like, if you can have that kind of a discussion out of Nehemiah 3, where it's all basically reading a bunch of hard-to-read names, bless the woman who read those in our group, and talks about construction practices, you know, in the ancient Near East, and have the discussion that we had, God is real, right? We all left that night going, man, so good to be here. This was so good to see each other and open up His Word. Tons of resistance getting to group. How about this? You ever have resistance trying to get into a meaningful relationship or conversation that has any depth? Like actually go beneath the, this is what we do for work, or this is how my fantasy football team is, is playing, or actually have a real conversation with somebody. And have you, ever, have you ever felt like, man, it is hard to get in those conversations. I'm afraid to ask those kinds of questions. 
It's going to be awkward. It's going to require me to be vulnerable, and I'm not sure I can do that. Are those just feelings? Is there actually something behind that, someone behind that, trying to get you to pay attention to those things and say, yeah, it's not worth it. Don't, just keep it up here. Don't go down there, right? You ever find resistance when you need to apologize for a place that you've sinned against somebody else? Every person in here who's married should be shaking their head right now, right? Where you've sinned against somebody else and you need to repent of what you did, but this thought comes into your head, I know I was wrong, but so were they. You ever had that thought? Like, yeah, I got some things to share, but they got some things to share too. Satan never wants you to repent for anything. He wants you to keep score and justify like that so that you don't have any healing in your relationships. That's not just a thought. That's a work of him. When we actually rationalize away repenting for our sin to our brothers and sisters. You ever find resistance when you need to ask for help? And, and this is the thought that comes into your mind. Man, I know I need help right now, but everyone has so much going on, and I just don't want to be a burden on anybody. Satan loves that one, right? He would never want you to ask the Lord for help, and he certainly wouldn't want to ask, have you ask anybody else for help. He wants to keep you isolated and alone, right? And keep the fear talk going. Anytime you're rationalizing, justifying, procrastinating, feel a certain degree of anxiety over any action that you know you should do, or find yourself sleepless. Those are just five. Those are good signs that the enemy is at work, trying through resistance to keep you from walking towards the Lord and towards what he's called you to, okay? Do you recognize it? Do you call it what it is? Secondly, resisting resistance. I know I just said a lot there, but I got a lot to say this morning. Resisting resistance. This is what Nehemiah does. He knows, man, this is, if these guys get discouraged, it's over. We're never going to get this thing rebuilt. And so he steps in and he knows in their discouragement, they need to be re-encouraged, right? I need to put courage into them for the work that they're called to do. How does he do it? Fly through these. First thing he does is he says this, don't be afraid of them. I always love it when somebody says something like that. It's like, well, I am afraid of them, right? Don't be. What is he saying? Ultimately, what he's, I think he's saying there is, is, I know you feel afraid, and I know this is serious. They have an army, the army of Samaria, you know? You guys are perfumers, remember? <laughs> I bet the perfumer hadn't held a sword in a while, Except the plastic one that he had in his garage. I don't, they didn't even have garages back then. What am I saying? Anyways, don't be afraid of them. What he's saying is you can feel afraid, but there's a difference between feeling afraid and becoming your fear. Fear can lead to paralysis. Fear can be powerful, right? It can, it can cause us to be stuck. But what does he do? He says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. What is he doing? He's saying, you're fearing the wrong thing. Fear him. That's what we're called to fear, not fear man. Fear the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is what Proverbs says. 
Nehemiah's saying, we, we don't need to be afraid of them. We need to be afraid of him. And he has called us to do this. He is great and he is awesome. He is fighting for us. Remember who's in your corner. It's like when we sing that song, be still, my soul, the Lord is on my side. He's on our side. So you're not alone. So the first thing that has to happen when you're facing resistance, you have to acknowledge, I've gotten afraid, and then I actually have to do something to that fear. I have to let the Lord deal with the fear. Because if the fear's not dealt with, everything else topples. So don't be afraid. Secondly, what does he do? He starts posting families and stations people behind the lowest points of the wall. We'll talk about some more of this next week. But he does this. Think about it like this. He posts guard, but he doesn't post an attack. He posts guard, but he doesn't post an attack. He basically says, hey, armor up. If they come into our yard, then we're going to defend, but we're not going to spend time and waste our energy chasing after them because they're a bunch of talkers. Right? If we talk... If we get in a word battle right now, we're going to be playing their game and we're actually not going to be putting our energy towards what we're called to build right now, right? So they post guard versus post an attack. Practically, what this looks like is, is that they don't retaliate, they remember, right? I'm not going to spend my energy retaliating. I'm going to remember the truth of what's going on here. God is behind us rebuilding this thing and I'm going to get busy doing that. Most people back to the social media thing, they post attack. The arrow comes into your yard, you grab an arrow, whew, don't. Post guard, don't post attack. What do you shoot out of your yard? Third thing. The third thing we see Nehemiah doing is he talks with God about them, not them about them. This is a big one. Verses 4 and 5. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. It's quite a prayer. Right? What is he doing? He's saying this discouragement is real. These insults hurt. We are getting discouraged, but I'm going to talk with you, Lord, about them. I'm not going to talk with them about them. I'm going to let the Lord deal. What he's practically doing is saying, I'm going to let the Lord deal with the breach in the wall of my heart that this discouragement has created. I'm going to go to the Lord. I'm going to talk with him. And by doing that, he's saying, not only am I going to talk with him about them, but I'm going to let him deal with them. That's effectively what he prays. Now, he certainly gives some suggestions there. Strong suggestions, right? Don't forgive their sins or blot out their guilt, right? Now, those are strong prayers. We're, this, you know, it's like an imprecatory psalm. Like, I'm preaching, God, handle them this way. And we are free. You are free. God has given you the freedom to bring all of your wrath and your vengeance and your frustration to him. But ultimately, what do we see Nehemiah doing? He's saying, this is how I would suggest you deal with them. But ultimately, by coming to you, I'm letting you deal with them. They're yours to deal with. And I'm yours. So will you deal with my own heart right now? So don't be afraid of them. Post guard, don't post an attack. 
talk with God about them, not them about them, right? And lastly, this is kind of over it all, encourage one another, right? The Jewish people, they actually, it's like Sambalot and Tobiah, what they're saying is hard, but then they started talking about it themselves. You see what they were doing? They're stirring and creating their own kind of fear fires with one another rather than encouraging one another with the truth. Nehemiah is the only one saying, bah, 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 right? Remember what's going on here. Who's got us? Hebrews 3.13 says this, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. What is that saying? Saying sin, what, what Samblot and Tobiah are doing right now is sin. And he's saying sin is deceitful. It hardens us. And we need to encourage one another if we're actually going to keep going in what God's called us to do. So how do we resist resistance? Don't be afraid of them. Be afraid of the Lord. Post guard, don't post an attack. Talk with God about them, not them about them, and encourage one another. So we're going to pause for a second. Janie, our experiment. Here we go. Are we okay? We're good? I want you to take a moment. We're going to take a moment. And I want you to, I want you to just pray and ask the Lord, will you show me what external voices have become internal voices? What are places of shame, maybe of ridicule, of contempt, of fear, of hopelessness, where maybe it started outside of you, but now it's gotten inside of you, right? And it is tearing down the wall, right? Ask the Lord, show me, where is that at? Where is that kind of spiritual battle going on? And how, Lord, even just looking at Nehemiah, how are you calling me to respond to this resistance? Or maybe show me how I am responding that is unhelpful. I'm fighting hard, but I'm not fighting smart, right? So just take a second, ask the Lord, show me those external voices. Where have they become internal? And how do you want me to resist that with some of what we've heard? And I'll come back up and close this.
So Nehemiah recognizes resistance for what it is. He shows us, the Lord shows us through him, what does it look like to resist that? Resist, fight against it, right? Lastly, what is our ultimate rest in all of that resistance? Because basically what he does is he turns a bunch of perfumers and priests into an army in real time right now so they can continue the work. Um, but none of these guys were pro-fighters, right? And what was their ultimate hope and what is our ultimate hope is, is this, um, that like Nehemiah posted a guard, we have a permanent posted guard over our heart is what Scripture says to you and to me. That, that Christ, he's like the bouncer at the nightclub of our hearts, right? That will not let the bully get in and mess things up. Scripture calls him the Prince of Peace, which I don't know when you hear that, you kind of think of like a guy in tights who never goes out to the battle, right? He's not the king on the war horse. But actually, Prince of Peace, if you translate that phrase, it's called, he's called the war captain of our shalom. He is the guy on the horse with the sword who's actually headed out to take the fight to the enemy, right? And so how do we actually experience what it means that we have this permanently posted guard? Well, I think some of what Nehemiah led us in is how we actually step into the reality that we have this permanent posted guard, Jesus. There's a, you guys remember the, um, there's a poster I think it was printed in the 1930s during World War II that said, keep calm, carry on, right? And I think it was, it was Churchill who had them printed and put all over England, basically because England was getting bombed mercilessly by the Germans to just discourage them. And Churchill was notorious for basically saying, like, we may lose this island, but we're going we're gonna to go down swinging, Right? We're going to lose fighting. And they put these posters everywhere so that as people got up in their war-torn city, they would see that all the time. And they would read that and go, collectively, we're going to keep calm and we're going to carry on, right? Well, how do we keep calm and carry on? How do we do it? Well, the only way to do it is to be kept and to be carried, right? And so we come to the one who is the permanent posted guard, a guard that Psalm 121 says this, he who will not let your foot slip, he who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Your guard, right, he doesn't fall asleep at the door. He is always active, always standing guard, ready to defend. Philippians 4 says that our guard is always available to talk. I don't know about you, I've got teenagers now, and they want to talk at the weirdest times when I'm most exhausted sometimes, right? Jesus isn't like that. He's not like me. He's always ready for the conversation. Don't be anxious about anything, Philippians says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Right? He's always available to talk, and what does he want to talk about? He wants to talk about that I have this peace that's available to be brought to your heart that would guard your heart against this attack, against this resistance. So you have a guard that never sleeps, a guard who's always available to talk, a guard who wants to bring peace. And lastly, I think I'll talk more about this. Yeah, we'll do it next week. He doesn't just talk to us and never sleep and just defend. He gives us armor. 
I'd encourage you to go read Ephesians 6 even in preparation for next week, right? Because guess what? You aren't archers, you're warriors. That's what Scripture says. Jesus doesn't give you a bow and an arrow. He gives you a belt of truth, a breastplate of righteousness, feet fitted with the gospel of peace, a shield of faith, a sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and the helmet of salvation. He armors you up so that you can fight, right? So that we can fight. So that's our ultimate rest and resistance is, is that I've got a guard that never sleeps, a guard who is always there, a guard that wants to bring his peace into my life, and a guard that armors me up for the battle. Let me pray for us. Lord, I'm not sure that's how I wanted that to end. Thank you uh, that this chapter just helps us see so clearly that we're in a fight. Forgive me, um, Lord, for being so numb to that reality. Uh, give us eyes to see where resistance uh, is really the work of the enemy. Lord, um, and teach us what it means to resist that resistance, to fight. And Lord, thank you that our ultimate comfort and our ultimate hope and our ultimate peace in that is, is that your divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Would you wake us up to that, to the power and the things that we have full access to in you, that we may be those who fight hard and smart against the enemy uh, that, that we, we battle against, but we do not battle alone because you fight for us. We love you, Lord Jesus. We worship you now in your name.